And I'm conscious there's a lot of talk today um, all over the church, really, about the love of God. God loves me, God loves you, God loves everyone. And the danger is that uh, familiarity breeds, if not contempt, then certainly a lack of appreciation. And it could be if you're a regular here at Inspar St. James, hopefully you hear about the love of God and Jesus dying for you every Sunday, every time we meet um, together. But the danger for us is that week by week, as we hear it over and over again, our hearts become increasingly hardened to the wonder of it and what Jesus Christ has done for us, so that over time we end up no longer being really moved by it. It's just like water off a duck's back. And where do we actually stand today with Jesus' death and what he's done for us? could be of someone here looking into Christian things. It's great to have you here with us. Perhaps you've heard about the death of Jesus Christ, the central importance it is in the Christian faith and God's love for you. But you're thinking to yourself, so what? What's the big deal? How does someone's death 2,000 years ago have any relevance for me today? Well, as we come towards the end of Mark's gospel, we're only hours away now from the crucifixion and Jesus' death. And this passage not only shows us the significance of it and what Jesus' death achieved for us, but this is an extraordinary passage that takes us right into the heart of Jesus Christ as he pours out his soul to his Father in heaven in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see his agony, his emotional turmoil at what he is about to go through for humanity. It is not enough to just know intellectually that Jesus Christ died for you. We need to be moved by it. Have our souls gripped by it. And the more that you and I can grasp Today, not just the intellectual truth of this passage, as important as that is, but the subjective reality of it, the emotional weight of this passage, the less you and I will ever doubt, lack appreciation for God's love for us again. Now that's where we're going, but come with me to the passage now. First, the need of the cross. The need of the cross, because either side of this experience of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see the spectacular failure of all the disciples. Everyone deserts Jesus Christ. Have a look at verse 27. We're on page 1020. Jesus speaking. He even predicts it. You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. If we are in any doubt of humanity's desperate need for the cross, the need for forgiveness, the need for power to change, then here we have it laid out for us in one simple sentence from Jesus Christ. You will all fall away. All of you. Jesus knows that none of us can live the Christian life in our own strength. None of us can love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. All of us fail. 
We all love ourselves far too much so that when the pressure's on and push comes to shove and we're put to the test as each of the disciples are here and in particular Peter, we will revert to ourselves, save ourselves, deny Jesus Christ. You will all fall away. Now you may object to this as you hear this and Peter objects to it too. Notice in verse 29. Even if all fall away, I will not. Not me. I'm different. I'm the exception to the rule. Doesn't matter if all the other disciples fall away. What will they be thinking as they hear Peter say this? I won't. I can do it. And I'm not sure if you ever think like that, that you'll be okay, you'll be better than others. We need to learn from Peter's example here. Look at Jesus' response in verse 30. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Even Peter, even the chief apostle, before this day has even finished, will deny Jesus Christ three times. Now at this point, you might expect some humility from Peter. I mean, you're the son of God and and I'm not. And you've got the authority of scripture, Zechariah 13, behind you here. And all I've got is a history of getting these things wrong with you, Jesus. So tell me, like, what am I getting wrong here? There's none of that. Instead, Peter doubles down on his heroics. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Human beings, we are a proud species. We think we can do great things for God if we just put our mind to it. We can do whatever he says, obey all his commands, follow Jesus wherever he goes, and yet within just a few hours... We are told in verse 50, just after Jesus is arrested, everyone deserted him and fled. And as for Peter over the page, before the servant girl, we read of his first denial in verse 68, he denied it. His second denial in verse 70, again he denied it. Then look at verse 71. Peter began to call down curses presumably on Jesus, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Peter can't even bring to mention Jesus by name. And immediately the cock crows for the second time. And Peter breaks down and weeps. Not just weeps, he breaks down as the reality of his sin comes crushing down upon him and what he has just done and what he is capable of. You will all fall away. Remember when I joined the graduate training program at Deutsche Bank? This is back in 2000. As a recent turned follower of Jesus Christ. And I went in there with grand plans to be a light in the dark world of the banking trading room floor, 
And I would speak up for Jesus and stand up for Jesus and, well, do great things for Jesus. We were only two weeks into our graduate training program. And at lunchtime, there was this other grad who had just been moaning about the food all the time. Let me tell you, the food was amazing, right? Deutsche Bank at the time, one of the top banks, treats its graduates very well. Moan, moan, moan. The food's disgusting. The food's tasteless. He even went so far once to say, I would not feed my, this food to my dog. Now, at this point, I just snapped or something inside of me went. And I said something very rude about what he could do with the food if that's you know, what he thinks about it. Best for me not to mention it here. But the look on his face and the look on every other graduate's face, you heard what I'd said because we're all around the same table. And then these six words just hung horribly in the air. And you call yourself a Christian. I was mortified. I did not break down and weep. But if the ground could have swallowed me up, I wished it had the ease in which as Christians we stumble and fall, and how easily we deny Jesus Christ, and how desperately each and every one of us needs the cross. You will all fall away. If you are someone here looking into Christian things, you may look at Peter here and think, what a muppet. I would never treat Jesus like that if I was one of his disciples. I wouldn't deny him like that, not so soon, not three times. I would be different. But don't you see, just saying those words, thinking like that, I would be different. It wouldn't happen to me. Shows you are exactly like Peter. You cannot be a Christian before you first see your need of the cross. And yet, how often do we still get it wrong as Christians? Making grand promises to God that we will never gossip like that again. That we will never lose it with the kids like that again. That we will never click on that website again. Only to find ourselves doing just that very thing. Only a few days later, in some cases, only a few hours later. How many times do you double down on your own heroics? I will try harder. I will be different. I can do this next time only to discover time and time again, we can't. Most Christians are clear on their need for the cross. To become a Christian, we're sinners. We need forgiveness. There's nothing we can do. And yet the moment we start following Jesus Christ, we think it's all down to us, as if Jesus only gives us a leg up, wipes the slate clean. It's all over to you now. Can't we see Don't you see, from the example of Peter at least, the chief apostle uniquely called by Jesus Christ with him every day for three years 
and fails spectacularly at the moment of his testing. That none of us can live the Christian life without the cross. Do you see your need? Until you do, you will never appreciate the cross. You'll never appreciate truly what Jesus Christ has done for you. The need of the cross. Secondly, the agony of the cross. We need to see what it costs Jesus Christ to meet our need. Let me read from verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Now, this is unlike anything we've seen in the gospel so far. Up to this point in the gospel, Jesus has not been troubled by anything at all. A paralyzed man, chapter 2, get up. A furious storm, chapter 4, be calm. A dead daughter, chapter 5, awake. And now suddenly, for the first time in Mark's gospel, Jesus is deeply distressed and deeply troubled. What is going on? Throughout the gospel, he's been unflappable. He's spoken openly about his death three times. He's predicted Judas' betrayal. He's just said Peter's going to deny him. He's in total control of everything. Now he's in this emotional turmoil. He's overwhelmed with sorrow. Now what is going on? What has changed? Why this sudden reaction? Going a little further, verse 35 Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. That is the hour of his death. And as this hour approaches, it seems like the realization of what Jesus is about to go through dawns on him. We have that phrase, don't we, like cold feet and that that hesitation that people feel days before or hours before you know, their wedding day. Or you hand in a resignation letter to your boss or you're about to make some important decision. I mean, we feel it even in these sort of small, maybe big... Can you imagine what it must be like for Jesus Christ here? Just hours before his death, his sacrificial death, where he is going to stand before a holy and almighty God and deal with, pay the punishment of every sin, every act of evil that has ever been committed over all time. Take this cup from me. We know from the Old Testament reading, this is the cup of God's wrath. God's anger at all human evil. The prophet Nahum asks, who can withstand God's indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. What Jesus is about to go through on the cross is a spiritual abandonment of cosmic proportions. 
complete alienation from his father. Hell, of which the metaphor of fire is nothing compared to the reality. No wonder Jesus Christ collapses to the earth in prayer. Father, anything is possible for you. If it is possible, if there's any other way of salvation, take this cup from me, not this cup. And yet, not what I will, but you will. Have there ever been more precious words spoken by human lips? As Jesus Christ here is all alone. Peter, James, John, they can't even keep their eyes awake. Judas about to betray him with a kiss. Peter about to deny him. Everyone desert him. What has humanity ever done for Jesus Christ? As we save our own skins, and look after ourselves, only care for number one. And how does Jesus Christ respond? By denying himself. And taking up his cross, literally. And commits himself to the agonies of the cross. Bearing his father's wrath. For the salvation of humanity. And dies for you and me. Do you see what Jesus Christ has done for you? Now let me pause there, make a couple of comments about God's wrath because people really do not like the idea of an angry God. God of love, very happy about that. God who gets angry, don't like that. First comment, if you think about it for a moment, you cannot have a God of true love without a God of anger simply because loving people get angry. Think of someone you love. Think of someone very dear to you. Imagine something terrible happens to them. You get angry, don't you? If someone causes terrible harm to this person you love, you get angry with what that person has done, don't you? The more you love someone, the more you can get angry at things. Actually, to not get angry then shows you don't really care. Do we not want a God who cares about the evil and injustices that happen every day in this world? Do we not want a God who will one day do something about it? Of course we do. The fact that God gets angry in a right, just way is a wonderful thing and shows us just how truly loving he is. Second comment. The more we appreciate God's anger at our sin, the more we will appreciate just how much Jesus loves us. We said at the start, you can hear a lot about God's love today in the church, but how do you really know that God loves you? How can you really know? How can you really be sure of it? In all other world religions, you need to earn God's love. 
It's down to you. And how do you ever know that you've done enough and that God does really love you? In Christianity, it is completely the other way around. And Jesus Christ shows you the full length of his love for you, what he will do for you. He died for you. It happened 2,000 years ago, space-time history. He bore God's wrath for you so that all you have to do is trust in him and you can be absolutely assured of his love for all eternity. We may not like the idea of a God who gets angry, a God of wrath, but you cannot truly appreciate how much he loves you without it. Back in uh, Oxford, when Joe and I, my wife and I, were living there, um, I was studying for my theology finals, I got completely lost in my books, in my Greek grammar, my Hebrew verbs, watch out, James, and, you know, just in trying to prepare for the exams, revising for them, I did not give Joe very much of my time at all. I missed date nights. I didn't pull my weight around the house. I wouldn't go so far as to say I abandoned her, but I was certainly being a very poor husband. Wasn't giving her my time, wasn't giving her my energies, certainly was not loving her. She had every right to be angry with me. She had every right to sit me down and say, Mark, this has got to stop. You can work hard, revise the exams. You cannot keep on treating me like this. She said stuff like that to me before. If she said it again, I would have deserved it. Instead, this time, she prepared a surprise for me. She ordered in my favorite takeaway. She booked tickets for my favorite cinema. She reached out in love to me, and I was deeply moved by it. To see her love me in this way when I'd been so selfish and did not deserve it at all. Of course I'd seen her love before, I know how much she loves me, but now I was seeing the lengths of it, the depths of it. Friends, do you see the lengths and depths of Jesus Christ's love for you? As his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, And we don't deserve him to go to the cross at all. We are selfish. We care only about ourselves. What have we done for him? Yet not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus goes to the cross for you and for me. Please, please do not see the death of Jesus Christ as some cold doctrinal fact. It is an act of love, the most loving act of all. Be moved by it. We must allow ourselves to be affected, our hearts affected by it. And look, if you are a regular here, can I ask, does it still move you? Or is your heart becoming hardened to it? Do you no longer care so much about it? And if that's you, it's got to change. 
so you can appreciate afresh just what it means to be truly loved by God. The need of the cross, the agony of the cross. Thirdly and finally, the reassurance of the cross. Take a look at verse 28. We skipped over this before. Important for us to focus on it now. Jesus speaking, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, why is this so significant? Because do you notice how this verse comes straight after Jesus' prediction that disciples will all fall away? It is a promise that is not the end for them. Jesus will go ahead of them. They will have a future with him after his death and resurrection because there is always the offer of forgiveness and restoration with Jesus Christ. Always. It is wonderfully reassuring, especially when we are broken like Peter. Broken and weeping over our sin. Keep a finger in Mark 14. Remember, we've just heard about Jesus going ahead of them into Galilee. Flick forward to chapter 16, the last couple of verses on page 1024, verse 7. Okay? Top of 1024. I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Verse 7. The angel speaking to the women in the tomb after Jesus' death and resurrection. But go, tell his disciples and Peter... He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. It does not matter how much we fail God. Deny Jesus full spectacularly like Peter. There is always a way back. Who, O Lord, could save themselves, their own soul could heal. Our shame was deeper than the sea, your grace is deeper still. You, O Lord, have made a way, the great divide you heal, but when our hearts were far away, your love went further still. Yes, your love goes further still. It does not matter how far we fall, you can never fall beyond God's grace. Sometimes you and I, we can feel so rotten about our sin, broken and weeping like Peter. We think, surely that's it for us. Surely God can't love me. Not now, not this time, not after what I've just done. I hope you can see, no matter how far you go in your sin, God's love goes further still. Come to Jesus, come back to Jesus. Confess your sin, experience afresh his forgiveness, be assured of his constant Love for you. Last thing to see. This reassurance of God's love transforms Peter's witness. He is a complete failure here. Three times he denies him. But the book of Acts, he's transformed in his witness. We know from history that Peter was put on trial again. AD 65 under the persecution of Nero. Listen to these words of Clement of Alexandria, one of the early church fathers writing in the first century. Let us remember the noble examples of our own generation. Through jealousy and hatred, the greatest and most just pillars of our church were persecuted and even put unto death. Even Peter 
at last, having delivered his testimony, departed to the place of glory prepared for him. A second trial. No hesitation this time. No denial of Jesus Christ. No cock crowing, but a faithful witness right to the end. What made the difference? The cross made all the difference. This deep reassurance of God's love for him. All that Jesus Christ had done for him. Forgiving him, restoring him, empowering him. So deeply moved him. He would never deny Jesus again. Do you want to be more faithful in your witness? Do you want to be more bold in your faith? Do you want to be more prepared to stand up for Jesus then, no matter what comes your way? Then look to the cross and let his love transform you. That is what love does. See your great need for the cross. See what Jesus went through for you on the cross. And let his love move you afresh. Be reassured of it. Be thankful for it. Go tell others about it. Well, let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, what a passage. Taking us into your son's emotional turmoil in Gethsemane as we see the spectacular failure of Peter, the disciples, everyone deserting him, and we would be no different, and yet still Jesus goes forward to the cross and bears your wrath so we could be forgiven, have relationship with you restored, have our lives and witness transformed. Please move our hearts. Please reassure us of your love. Help us to be thankful. And help us to witness to you today and in the week ahead. We ask it for Jesus' sake.